in a world, the year 2019. Hello everyone, Bri the Movie Guy, along with co-host extraordinaire Cody, and on today's podcast we are finishing up Tarantino Month by talking about his last film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, This episode will also cover uh, some of his other films, as you may know. Uh, We've discussed them on the pod, but today we'll be ranking them. We'll be uh, talking about quotes, moments, everything. So let's get started with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hello, everyone. Bri the Movie Guy here, along with co-host extraordinaire Cody Wilfong. Are we recording yeah, we were recording. I hit record right before you showed me the video. Uh, <laughs> but um, today, this is the last episode of the Tarantino month. And I don't feel the dread that I have with, like, when we did the Marvel shit. I kind of do. You you kind of do? You're like, I get burnt out on one director. On one director? Yeah. Well, and this this movie's kind of easy to get burnt out on, but... Yes, it's slow. It's slower, and... Well, we're get, we'll get into it, because re-watching it, because I rewatched it recently, it's not as bad. I do have a different viewpoint of it, which we'll get into shortly, but um, on top of this being about once... What, which, it has an amazing what-if, Cody, and I'm telling you... Tonight, we are making this a better movie. Usually, we we haven't done anything like that in a while where we, like, dive into a plot and, like, change it up a lot. But the kind of rumors... What about the Manson murders? What, it's, it ties in with that, but it's, like, what the rumors were, which, I mean, we're going to get into the what-ifs first, but, but before that, um, before we get into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this episode's also going to serve as kind of a Tarantino... Um, ranking and inspiration okay so uh this episode's going to be a tarantino uh appreciation episode we're going to dive into some of the movies we've already discussed um but just like we're going to rank his movies we're going to talk about our favorite scenes favorite quotes from all these movies and just kind of compile them together because um there's an interesting future that I found through the research with him that we will get into soon at the very end. But first, let's talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is uh, Tarantino's what-if movie, essentially. Um, It is about actor Rick Dalton gained fame and fortune by starring in a 1950s television western, but is now struggling to find meaningful work in a Hollywood that he doesn't recognize anymore. He spends most of his time drinking and palling around with Cliff Booth, who his easygoing best friend and longtime stunt double. Rick also happens to live next door to Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, the filmmaker and budding actress whose futures will forever be altered by members of the Manson family. Now, when you hear that, you're like, okay, so the Manson family is going to have a very big impact, and they kind of don't. And that's the. They don't. It's not until the end. It's not till the towards the end, which the ending's great. Which you know what I hated about it? Huh. We didn't really get to see too much of Charlie. We didn't see a lot of Charlie, which we'll get into the actor too in the in the seventy percent facts. Is he like in one scene, I believe. 
He, I think, one or two scenes, if I'm remembering right. I know in the trailer he's in more scenes than what we see him in the movie. Because there's supposed, I think there was supposed to be an interaction between him and uh, Cliff at one point. Um, but anyway, let's get into the first category, the what-ifs. Because uh, there's not a lot, but they're interesting enough, and I think you're going to really love one. Um, first off, because he's going to pop up a are lot. You, in are the you wearing different socks? I am. They're Grateful Dead socks. One is red with the blue. This is a red sock with the blue dancing bear. And this is a blue sock with a red dancing bear. Together, they dance. Anyway. <laughs> By the way, did you like what I did with the Kill Bill episode when I got to the, the, the quote? Yeah. <laughs> Was that guy talking about you or me? What guy? On the Instagram. No, no, I meant, like, on the actual no, episode itself. No, but was itself. that guy talking about you or me? I could have sworn I saw someone at the exit. Um, God, this place... you were dressed as the bride, weren't you? You were the bride. I was the bride. Oh, you're talking about that. I'm talking about in the episode oh. itself, when I, in quotable quotes, when I get to the... Honestly, when you sent me that, I was like, I can't see anything. And then I realized it was a video. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Well, because, yeah, there was, like, other things to see about it. But, uh, anyway, back to this. Um... In the in the seventy percent facts, you're gonna hear Burt Reynolds' name a couple times because Bruce Reynolds was uh, originally supposed to play um, George Spawn for the uh, he was replaced by Bruce Dern because Burt Reynolds passed away before he could film his scenes. However, um, he still attended table readings and stuff like that. Like he was fully going to be in this movie, but then passed away sadly. Um, the scene is very short, if you remember, it has Cliff just visiting him, and he's waking him up from a nap, which he does have some hilarious line, but we'll get to in quotable quotes, um, but, okay, we're gonna have to talk about this, what if, okay? What did he die from? Um, well, Heart he, attack. yeah, well, he was older, he, I think he was 89? He, he was... He was born a year after my grandfather. What what was his age at death? So he was born in 1936. 1936. So, uh, you do that math, and I'm going to start into this what if. Um, you want me to do it from the year he was died? You do it from the year he died, and you minus from the year he was born, I believe. 82. 82? Oh, I was... No, I wasn't that close. Anyway, <laughs> Brad... I said 89. Uh, Brad Pitt was reportedly in talks for an unspecified role in the film, which was rumored to be a detective investigating the murders, and was eventually turned down by Pitt. Negotiations stopped for a while. Uh, a couple months went by, and it was assumed that Pitt wasn't interested anymore. Quentin Tarantino then tried to consider, get this, Tom Cruise for a role, as many assume it was the same role, it has, been, has not been confirmed, that Pitt declined, but matters never materialized with Cruz. <clears throat> Tarantino then went back to Pitt months later, and then obviously uh, Cliff. Cliff Booth was casted. But did he just make that role up to get Brad Pitt? I I don't know for per se, but I do know for for a fact that this rumor puts out. Such a 
more interesting movie. What, like Tom Cruise? Okay, hear me out on this. Tom Cruise, okay, we can still have Leonardo DiCaprio as, um... I don't think Leo was ever going to turn down anything from... No, no, he what, he was very excited to work with Tarantino uh, from the research. Um, he took a pay cut to actually help keep the budget lower. I think he took a $20 million pay cut or something like that. We'll get it's in the seventy percent facts. So I'll have a better number for you. Off my house seven times. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, pro more than that. Shit, man. Um, sevenfold. Sevenfold. But okay, just think about because obviously Tom Cruise was going to be concerned for Cliff Booth, and we'll get into that very shortly. But let's think about. A movie where Rick Dalton was maybe a witness or one of the victims in the Manson family murder thing. Or because he's the neighbor, at least. We do know that. Like, maybe we could ha still have that connection. But what if the film focused on Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise as two detectives? What year was this based in, by the way? It was the same year that the murders happened, 1969. Red Apple Seeker. Red apple cigarettes. They're smoother, and they don't make you cough as much. <laughs> anyway, uh, or say, what whatever Rick the Dalton, fucking quote is. Probably what Rick Dalton died from. <laughs> I mean, he just died this year, which, Pretty I mean, this is cigarettes. also, like, I hate that I can hear the Little Mermaid through my headphones right now. That's how loud that, that system is turned up right now and up in the That's projector booth. Yeah. Um, but just, let's really think about that. Like, have you ever seen... Uh, uh, I think I always memories or memoirs. Um, I think it's memoirs of, mar of murder. It's mm -hmm. a bung. You I think it's memoirs of the murder. I think that's what it is. I I always misread it as either memories or memoirs, but um, just like that. Or you know what? Here, let me let me Americanize this for the people who don't know Bong Joon Ho's entire filmography. Bong Joon Ho. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> God. Oh, God. Anyway, um, True Detective Season 1. That that whole thing. Like, let's have Pitt be the Harrelson. No, 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 no. Cruz be the Harrelson and Pitt be the McConaughey of the situation. They don't have to necessarily be, like, those characteristics, but, like... In terms of, like, maybe experience on the job kind of thing. If that gives you, like, a hot, uh, the look kind of, like, this guy's been on the force this long, but this guy's been on the force this long, and he just left homicide um, in Detroit. Nothing, I don't know if Detroit's that bad. You just Detroit's hear a lot. Terrible. I mean, RoboCop's based in Detroit, so you gotta Detroit's assume. Speaking of RoboCop, did you see that John Cena might be playing him? It would make sense. Oh my god, did you see that? Yeah, that was impressive. I almost dropped it. You almost dropped it, but you didn't. <laughs> but anyway. It would make sense. He's got big fucking arms. and. But, like, you could you could have this movie be told in, like, a Pulp Fiction way. Because he considers this movie, tonal-wise and, like, editing-wise, to be closest to Pulp Fiction than any of his other movies. But, like, let's... I don't think we've... Have we ever gotten a detective? Because... I feel like 90% of the time, the characters we follow are not people of the law. Like, I don't think he's made a straight-up cop drama. He won't. 
I don't think, well, definitely not, because the, we know, I mean, I, I guess we don't have to save this part till the very end, but the other thing, well, we'll save talking about this movie more, but the movie critic, as we've mentioned, supposedly his very last film, but um, just, I can't, I feel like there's... I don't there's, think it's going to be his last film. It, it, we'll, we'll get into what's coming next, because it's be a like little Michael interesting. Jordan. What? He's going to be like Michael Jordan. 45 wasn't feeling a little right. He's going to be like Brett Favre. Hey, don't, no. <laughs> don't put him in that. Don't put him in that category anymore, sadly. Besides oh, the, besides the sex. He's a disgrace stuff. to the Packers. Anyway. The Mississippi scandal. <sighs> it's not even a scandal, man. He fucking did it. Anyway. <laughs> oh, side note. Go back to RoboCop. Oh, okay. Do you, so do you consider John Cena to be a A-list actor? I think... Right I think he's very well known, and he is. Po- I think he's more. Po- he is like where he is now is where The Rock was once at, at popularity, where like people thought he was. But the thing is, I think John Cena's a better actor than The Rock, than D- Dwayne Johnson. I think he's funnier than Dwayne Johnson. Oh, like yeah, sure. he, like Peacemaker is genuinely a good series, and he's and he's genuinely good in like every movie I've seen him. Fast in. X, he was a bright spot. I refuse to watch Fast X. Well, every Fast but, movie uh, he's in, he's good. Well, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, that but, brings me to my uh, next point. If he does get RoboCop, does this catapult him into another, like... Franchise? Start, like, stardom level, so, like, actor-wise. It depends on if... I, I imagine they're going to keep it R-rated. I hope they do. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of interesting that they would choose John Cena when... You don't necessarily need a bulky man for that role, considering that his body's blown apart. Now, if it w- we can't get into it, we're getting we're going way just off finish, course. Just finish. Got, no, no, we, no. We, we can't. got we got a long night ahead of us on Tarantino. <laughs> then we got to get into Tarantino. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, but back into this movie idea that I just can't get away from is that like even just having. Leo as the cop, like maybe even Tom Cruise, like maybe Brad Pitt did the whole like departed situation where he's like, yeah, I'm just going to stay behind the scenes kind of thing. I just feel like a Tarantino directed film that is um, a cop drama would be so good. Bring Mark Wahlberg or Matt Damon in at that point. Well, I mean, if uh, Matt Damon, no. Mark Wahlberg would make a better 60s, 70s character. I don't know. You know what, though? Like, people forget that Mark Wahlberg is in... Um, Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Thank oh, you. Dude, I was going to say... That's a good movie, though. Dick, uh, Dick Dirk... Or, uh, Dirk Dig... You know... Dirk Dig... Can you help me here? <laughs> Dirk uh, Diggler? Yeah. Uh, thank I you. I was watching that movie when I first started here. Yeah. And... It was late night. I just got off work. It's not a great movie, but it's one of those movies where I'm like, I can't stop watching. It's such a good movie, but I have to disagree. It's a great movie. (laughs) Because it's not porn? Why would that make it a good movie? No, it's just like... He came inside of her. Let's talk about... (laughs) Oh, God. We'll we'll do a podcast soon, but like, let's talk about like just the opening credits where they're just like, going through the disco and we're kind of meeting everyone. It's just a really cool tracking shot. But then, like... Was that his first movie? Mark Wahlberg's? Like, big movie? 
I think the well, no, Basketball Diaries was more indie. Um, I want to. It might have been his. I think it's his first starring role. I could be wrong on that. What may, What did his agent just say? It's about porn, Mark. But okay, they need a guy with a big dick. They're not gonna. <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty much Dirk Diggler in a hole. It's like it's it, 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 he gets addicted to cocaine, and then like the whole like you've got the touch. The new guy comes in and gets him <coughs> all flustered. And then his whole I, like weird mommy relationship with Julianne Moore. Okay, we're we're off subject here. Never, so we're this that's PTA we're talking about. I never here. knew they lived like porn stars lived together though. What the, some directors have this really weird fascination with the, the 70s, porn yeah. in the nineteen seventies. Uh De Palma was one of those guys who got really obsessed with it. Um but, like, David Fincher, I'm pretty sure, is one of those guys, and PTA is definitely one of those guys. But there's, like, there's something about that era of porn that these directors got drawn into. Bush. <laughs> oh, man. This is our Speaking most... Bush. Bush light. Uh, dude, what, this is, like, our most graphic episode. We're only, <laughs> we're only 17 minutes in, and we've, like, just... We have hit every fucking button today. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. You but, better not X this stuff out. But on top of, like... <laughs> we'll gain followers. <laughs> oh, God. But on top of, like, Tom Cruise being Cliff Booth, though... It. I don't think I'd watch it if he was Cliff Booth. What, okay, hear me out, though. Because he's in Magnolia. And he got... I think he got Oscar nominated for Magnolia. And rightfully so. He, he was... does Jerry Maguire. And I'm pretty sure he got nominated for that. Jerry Maguire... Phenomenal movie. I, I love that movie he's so much. Only my uh, fuck was that movie? It's on the tip of my tongue. I feel like Tom Cruise is one of those actors who doesn't have enough respect on his name. There, I said it. It's out there because of that Oprah Winfrey thing. It's the Scientology bullshit. Let's like, uh, let's face it. Like, does any of it fucking matter? Tom uh, Cruise won't come out of the closet. <laughs> God, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I don't think he is. But I get the joke because I get the joke. But I, I don't think they were they were making that joke. But he was actually in the closet in that episode. <laughs> oh God, Family Guy. What? There's what, South Park. I, there's a Family Guy episode too. Who copied who? It probably Family Guy because they copy everyone. Anyway, uh, that's right. Seth MacFarlane fucking do something about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, Tom Cruise would not need. He would be. The stunt double. He would be the perfect embodiment of a stunt double. Because he is a stunt double. This is this is Mission Impossible Tom Cruise we're talking about here. I See, I only see him as Ethan Hawke. Or... You mean Ethan Ma Hunt? Hunt? Ethan Hunt. Yeah, that's and, Mission Impossible. And then I only <laughs> see him as Maverick. It's still, that's him flying the jets, but man. But that's who I see Tom Cruise as. I don't see him as anything else. Now, obviously, this got Brad Pitt the Oscar. So, like, Not to think, Leo? like, Leo wasn't, no, it didn't get Leo. I forget who got the Dude, Oscar. Leo has been robbed so many times. I he, mean, he has one now. He can't complain. He's got anymore. one for one of his most boring movies. But it's so well The dude didn't talk. Yeah, yeah, but it, that's why it's so well acted. I'm not going to defend the movie, but I will I defend his you, acting. I saw that movie by myself. Oh, God. And oh, God. I sat in when, <laughs> oh, when we had the old seats. Oh. And I passed out for an hour. How? In theater. 
That's impressive. <laughs> That's I woke really... up and I was like, oh. Dude, I'm craving a Pop-Tart right now. I'm not even going to lie to you. Okay, so. Kroger's is just down the Oh, Kroger's. I have Pop-Tarts at home. I'm fine. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You got to get the Eggo waffle ones, man. Ew, no, dude. They're uh, good. May, I, maybe I need to just try them heated. Um, Jennifer Lawrence met with Tarantino early on and read the script for the part of Squeaky Fromey, which eventually went to Dakota Fanning. Yeah. Um, which, that would have been a weird role just to see J-Law pop up in. Um, Samuel Jackson was in talks for a role um, where he would play the villain in an episode of Lancer, although his role was ultimately cut due to scheduling conflicts. Many viewers adamantly claim they can hear Jackson's distinct voice in some of the Lancer scenes. Yeah, I know Chris Paul is now a warrior. You know what's going to account for that? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they'll win the title. They can't win the title this year. They didn't have Durant. So? they, they Oh, yeah, Chris Paul's just going to fix that problem? Okay. <laughs> he'll, be a, he'll be off the bench. Yeah, probably. Probably more. Okay, so this is the weirdest what if that I could find. Charlie Day was up for the role of Charles Manson. No, it wouldn't fit. It would not fit whatsoever. I guarantee, like... If, okay, if if Charlie Day wanted to make a swerve into into the drama roles, because this isn't the first comedian that we've had the casting what if be. Remember, in Glorious Bastards, even though not part of this month, he'd be a good bear Jew. Well, no, that's <laughs> God no. Um, God, Charlie Day is the Jew. God. What, what what who's the baseball player? I did uh, not know Austin Butler was in this movie. Either. Austin Butler's uh he's the devil. <laughs> he got his ass kicked at the end. Yeah. We're gonna get into his character. Um Tex. That's who he is. Tex. Who alright, I got a casting what if for him. Huh. Um Charlie Hunnam. For Tex. For Tex? No, I with Tex, his uh too too handsome, too buff, too old. Too the, Tex has to be younger. With the, I'm thinking of the Charlie Hunnam from the first season of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, but that's way too. You got to keep it like 2019. It's not too far off. Yeah, shave his beard. Yeah, dude, that's a lot he farther. He looked good that's and gentleman. Yeah, but that's my point. You got it. The Matthew Manson Mc family, dude. The Manson family are not like models. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let's go He'd kill some piggies. Oh, he's going. He'd be a good cliff. He he kind of would be. <laughs> like I'm not even mad at that, dude. Ah, oh, Swayze, why'd you go too soon? Swayze would have been a perfect Cliff Booth. Just imagine Swayze like Roundhouse Swayze. Roundhouse Swayze. He'd be too old. No, 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 he wouldn't. He did perfect. <laughs> you can oh, cast man. Aaron Rodgers with his, like, long-ass hair reporting to Packers training camp. <laughs> hey, you guys want to try some mushrooms? Uh, <laughs> God. Dude, how about the New York Packers? Anyway. <laughs> um, so. Win the title. Okay, so this isn't necessarily a casting what-if, because this episode is going to be kind of... Weird parts, true crime mystery. 
because it's going to deal with the obvious real-life murders. But, oh, God, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise as policemen trying to solve the Manson murders, like, just follow them trying to solve the Manson murders, is already ten times more interesting. Ten did, times more interesting movie. Did Butler have his accent? He didn't have his accent then. No, he had this accent. And then he... Because he's and the... And now he fucking I talks permanently like Elvis. He can't get out of that voice. Uh, thank uh, you. It's It's I, been a real a privilege. It's a movie, though. I'm not going to lie. I just couldn't get into it. It wasn't my thing. I, I'm not... I never... Okay, when I say bad things about movies, it does not mean people cannot watch those movies. I saw it only because my wife wanted I, to see it. I... Well... You don't have to give me an excuse, <laughs> but I, I liked it. I, uh, and you're you're entitled to that. I'm just saying I was. I did not fan. like how he got fat at the end. Well, that I'm sorry that happened. In real life. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Austin Butler would just all became that, uh, your non male idol. After all a while. that coke and hair on. Hair on. Well, okay. Let's not forget the large sourdough bread hollowed out oh, yes. with the peanut butter and bacon it hollowed into it. It was a foot it? it was a fu- Dude, he was like, can I get it toasted? Uh, <laughs> was there lettuce? Yeah, no, yeah. He had two, no, was there mayonnaise? Had, yeah, I think he had two sandwiches. The one you were just talking about. I know the peanut butter and bacon one for certain because that was like one that... It was deep fried. It was deep fried, wasn't it? Yes, and he. I remember. Oh God! They played the scene at the end, the oh, actual Elvis shit. at the end, where he was like on the piano, and, and he's he was like sweating, sweating profusely. God. And the guy had to hold. Can you imagine being that guy having to hold that mic? Dude, he had more pork in him than Young's. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, but okay. So I this is. I thought you were gonna take that in a completely different direction. I could have, but I took it PG. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> I almost went there, but <laughs> I was like. That's going to be X'd out. <laughs> More pork than the Kardashian sisters. Anyway, uh, Steve McQueen played in the film by Damian Lewis. That's just like the Chris Pratt. <laughs> that was a, I, I, like, that's a great comeback story. <laughs> Are you uh, sure about Kim Kardashian had some come on her back? <laughs> oh, my God. Chris Pratt. God. I, so complicated relationship with that dude. That was that on the dude. spot, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, that's improvised. He's so funny. Uh, anyway, um, okay, so this is a real-life what-if. Like, this could have this could have changed his career. This could have maybe ended his career, or this could have saved her life. I don't know. Steve McQueen, the night that uh, Sharon Tate... Shannon, yeah, Sharon Tate was uh, murdered. He was planning to visit her that night. The night she was killed. What does Steve McQueen look like here? Steve McQueen makes me very upset. You don't know this. Uh, I've seen he, the Great of Escape. Him. He is the original Thomas Crown Affair. He is also um, Bullet. He is also um, Ooh, I can go on. That is oh that's <laughs> the uh, that's the director Steve Stephen McQueen. But yeah, that one right there, Steve McQueen. He's like legendary cool guy. Great Escape is probably, like, his most well-known and best film. The legendary cool guy died on the highway. James Dean. James Dean, yep, James Dean, which supposedly died. Have you ever seen, um, okay, I'm going to recommend a movie to you. It's kind of like one of those, like, people kind of know it, but then a lot of people don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, it's called Death Becomes Her. 
And in the movies, it's about, like, having this little vial of this magic potion that makes you live forever. And there's, like, a, a scene in the movie where there's, like, a bunch of people that are all dead who, like, are who are famous but have died. One of them is obviously Elvis is there. But it's funny because Bruce Willis's character is trying to escape and not drink the potion. So the car he steals is the exact same one. Steve, or James Dean. James Dean Moore drove, and um, I think when he when he crashed, but also the actor getting out of the car, putting down a cigarette, and looking over his shoulder looks exactly like James Dean. <laughs> like exactly, it's really impressive. But it's a really good movie. Whoa, what movie is this? It's called Death Become. Look up Death Becomes Her James Dean scene, and I, I will know, continue. I this. know there's a guy that actually does look like James Dean. Well, there's that. there's also um. He's not. An adult film star. Well, his name's James Dean. I think. But he looks like. Does he look like James? Dean? I I don't know the actor. Uh, but anyway, uh, I don't know his name, real name. I thought. Well, I guess anyway. Um, but any, uh, what was it? Saints. Okay, yeah. Steve <laughs> McQueen, though. Oh yeah, this would not. <laughs> so it, it, okay, Steve McQueen was like the. He was the genuine article. Dude knew how to race cars. Dude knew how to be uh, drive motorcycles. Knew how to fight. Shit like that. Would he, it, could he have possibly saved Sharon Tate that night, or do you think he would have died? If he could have took on Tex and won, probably would have lived. But if Tex yeah. overpowered him, dead. And also, like, how do you react to seeing Steve McQueen walk into a room? I don't. Well, that's, <laughs> like, that's another thing. Maybe they would have got deterred from doing it because Sharon Tate wasn't wasn't yet a known name at the time. Like, I feel like she is more known for being her. murdered than her actual acting career. Which how many movies was she in before? I think two or three. Because we get we see we know of one Valley of the Dolls, which is a good movie. She wasn't a fan of it. She doesn't like the book, didn't like the movie. Um, and then this one, The Wrecking Crew, which I have seen, which is yeah, it, it is what it is. It is of its time. It's the nineteen sixties, but it's not bad. And she is like she's good in it. And I thought one of my favorite aspects of this movie is that. They chose to keep in the actual footage from the Wrecking Crew movie of the actual uh, Sharon Tate. And it's kind of crazy. Like, there is a scene where Margot Robbie looks incredibly like Sharon, like Sharon Tate. And I was like, wow, they actually did do that. And Where was Sharon she, Tate's husband? Roman Polanski? Yeah. Um, he was, I think, filming out of like out of the state or out of the country during that time i can't remember you will have to look that up um but now that we covered the what ifs it's now time for our other category all right cody we're hopping into the delorean and we're gunning it gunning to it. Gunning it to 88 and we are going back to july 26 2019 when the film was released as we mentioned earlier, the movie, what we said the movie is about, this movie is directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, it had a budget of $90 million with a opening weekend of just north of $41 million with a domestic gross of over $140 million and a worldwide gross of $377 million. So overall, like, his movies might start off, like, quiet and slow, but do they come back with a bang instantly almost? Um, and they, they're they always profitable. And I think 
I think that's what helps him be able to make, like, him control his career up to now. Oh, excuse me. Um, the top ten box office. Okay, so, <laughs> this is where you know the state of movies are. This is the top ten box office of that weekend. Again, this is 2019. Number one, The Lion King. Number two, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number three, Spider-Man Far From Home. Number four, Toy Story 4. Five, Crawl. Six, Yesterday. Seven, Aladdin. Eight, Stuber. Nine, Annabelle Comes Home. Ten, The Farewell. Only like three of those movies are original movie. The rest of those I are... Like Aladdin. I was okay with it. I wasn't over the moon about it, but I'm also a very huge fan of Robin Williams. I don't think Will Smith did bad as the genie. I just, you know, I have such a partial, yeah, partial biasy towards Robin Williams. Um, but yeah, I, again, and, sucks. and also we worked, well, I know I worked all these shows because I do own the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood poster because I do really like that poster. Which, fun fact for you, Quentin Tarantino puts himself on the poster. Like, he's directing a scene in that uh, on the poster. Like, he's on his camera up in the air. It's like a dolly or, or a crane or something like that. Um, but yeah, the... F I, when I, like, Googled the top ten box office for that and I saw The Lion King number one, I literally double-checked, did I misput the year? Because I was, like, baffled the, by it. The, uh, it was the, the quote-unquote live action. Uh, anyway, going CGI. on. Yeah. Uh, what the critics had to say on the streets were that Rotten Tomatoes score was at 85%. It is certified fresh at 85%. It has an audience score, though, of only 70%. Um... It has a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, which, fun fact, out of all of Tarantino's films so far, the nine, I, I count it as ten, um, only three of them are rated under an 8.0 out of 10. Uh, all those films are The Hateful Eight at 7.8 out of 10. Terrible movie. <laughs> but it's weirdly rated higher than Jackie Brown at 7.5 out of 10 and Death Proof, which is at 7 out of 10. Now, I have my problems with Hateful Eight, but there are some things I do enjoy about it, which if we cover that episode one time, we will get into that. Um, so, some, um, and then it has a 3.8 out of, this has a 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which, interestingly enough, the exact same three movies I mentioned um, are all the only ones under a 4.0 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So, there is a trend that these are definitely his least popular films. They're the least accepted by the fans. They are still critically acceptable, but by fans' bases, they don't live up to what they're supposed to be. Um so some here are some of the things that I wrote down that I remember when I watch this. Um, the middle of the movie felt overly long, and even when I was rewatching it this time, when it hits the Julie Butter stuff, and that whole like when he's filming that pilot and he's playing the villain thing, mm -hmm. I feel like we don't have to watch the entire thing, but we stick with them far too long with that. And, um, 
it just I feel like if you cut a lot of that out and shrink it up like even having the movie still being about what it is could still make sense like I almost want to see a just like 215 220 version of this movie yeah, there didn't have to be certain things in the movie. Yeah, it's it's way too it's way too expanded. There's just a lot of unneeded. There's too much, you know. You don't want a steak with too much fat on it. Um, I enjoyed the Cliff Booth, and I enjoyed Cliff Booth character the most. And I thought he was the best part of the movie. And I thought Rick Dalton was kind of more of the comedic sidekick than Cliff Booth was. Um, um, Sharon Tate wasn't in it nearly as much as I remembered, and when she was in it, most of the time she was just dancing. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind she of went to a movie theater. She, well, that that scene, those scenes, I really enjoyed because that scene begins where she's driving down the road, and how she looks in that scene, she looks exactly identical to Sharon Tate almost, and it's just. It's so wild, which we'll get into that in 70% facts here shortly. Um, I, I already said the Judy Butters thing. Um, I think the Manson family was oversold in the advertising because they really don't do much of anything in this besides our just constant reminder of what's going to happen to our poor Sharon Tate. Um, okay, so... These are also semi-based on when I was watching it, and I don't know what these, uh, this one, oh, okay, no, I, okay, I remember it. So, these are based around when the Manson family comes to Rick Dalton's house. Holy shit, what's happening? Holy shit, Brandy is kick-ass. Holy shit, Cliff Rocks. Holy shit, Flamethrower. <laughs> those, those were the last bit of notes I had. It <laughs> was the Flamethrower thing. Um... Um, I remember leaving the movie feeling like I at least enjoyed the movie, but I did feel underwhelmed by it a lot, and I felt like it just felt way too long, especially with trailers. It made it feel worse. Um, I remember thinking it was also funnier than what I remembered, and then, um, yeah, I just remember it feeling way too long. So, we got through... That section fast, like, first section was 30 minutes, of course, we took a lot of side roads <laughs> along the way, but I really want to get into the last half of this episode, so I kind of want to hit the gas a little bit, but not too much, because I do think about, I do think what a lot of the things we're talking about are interesting, but, uh, yeah, let's get into 70% facts, um, so... We're in 70% facts because 70% of the time the facts are right every time. Um, the first fact here, Quentin Tarantino spent five years writing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as a novel before realizing a film script would better suit the material. Now, there are some really interesting things we see. This movie is very much a love letter to Hollywood. It is a love letter to the Hollywood that Tarantino might have grew up in. Um, I know Kurt Russell was like a kind of a big kid actor at this time in his career. So he remembers this part of Hollywood very well. And um, he was kind of a conduit for them. Like, a, like uh, or a, uh, what's that thing called? Ugh. They put it in the ground. You dig it up after so long. 
time capsule. Time capsule, thank you. A bit of a time capsule. Kind of, he's kind of a time capsule of old Hollywood at this point. So, um, yeah. On that note, this is my main argument for this movie. When rewatching it, I obviously had to pause it a lot or, like, go and do something else. And so... I feel like it was really working, working, watching it almost episodic, and I feel like this might have worked better as a miniseries rather than a film, but then I've seen the novel and I've read it, and a lot of the stuff that is referenced in either the trailer or on the poster or any, like, um, release material, it kind of, um, what's, what am I trying to say here? Um, it just fits better in book form because when you're trying to overstuff it into a movie, we get what the material we have. And it's like, do we need to hear how precocious Judy Butters is? But then like with how precocious she is, when we get to the scenes where she's filming, she's like very happy go lucky kid. Like, it's okay. I enjoy falling. I think it's fun. Like that shit. Um, so, um, continuing on. Uh, Sharon Tate puts her feet up on the seat in the theater while watching The Wrecking Crew. And if one looks closely, you can see that uh, her feet are rather dirty in real life. Tate hated wearing shoes and would take any possible opportunity to not wear any in public unless the situation absolutely called for it. And I put in parentheses, or so says Tarantino, who we all know feels about feet. Um, but I do, I would kind of believe that of Sharon Tate. Um, Donald Shorty Shea was a ranch hand employed by George Spawn. He had tried to warn Spawn about the dangerous nature of the Manson family. At some point, he was jumped and then killed with various body parts being buried around the branch. One of the, <laughs> one of the various body parts being buried under the ranch. One of the killers was Steve Clem Grogan, the hippie who knives the tire and is confronted by Cliff. As he starts to change the tire, you can see a cowboy in a coral in a coral in the background. Um, as Shorty was the only ranch hand, this would have been him in the shot. So um, he was his body was eventually found in 1977 when Clem agreed to show the police where the remains could be found. So again, this episode kind of some parts uh, true crime podcast, but it's kind of like the the cult like cults in general are just terrifying things. Um, and the fact that these were people so well rehearsed and so well at killing, and they were, they almost, should I say that they didn't care that they killed? Would that be right? I mean, they called every, they had a mentality, mentality to themselves that everyone was pigs from under my understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also weird to think that Charles Manson is connected to the Beach Boys somehow. Uh, okay, I already read that one. Um, the, okay, so this is very rare for a Quentin Tarantino film. Um, some scenes contain improvisation, particularly the one where Rick Dolan forgets his lines and he's trying to remember them while filming Lancer and afterwards. 
um, when he rants to himself in the trailer that a lot of that's improvised. And <laughs> when I was uh, rewatching these scenes today, I thought to myself, how many times has he yelled this to himself? Like, how many times, like, what, a, he says some harsh fucking things to himself, like, I wanted to give him a hug real bad at one point, because he says, like, of something that just, I was like, no, don't say that, don't, dude, uh, um, when, uh, okay, so when Sharon goes to a movie, to the movie theater, and to see the Wrecking Crew, uh, the filmmakers chose to, oh, wait, I already said this one, but it's actually... That scene is also more based off something that Quentin Tarantino did back in the day. When uh, Reservoir Dogs came out, um, it became very popular. A lot of indie heads knew about it. And so True Romance came out, and he got into the movie theater for free. He was on a date, and so he kind of wanted to flex. So he got in for free saying, yeah, I wrote this movie, and he's bringing his date. And so the, they let him in for free, obviously, and he, like, signed stuff for him and all that shit. Can you imagine us working at that movie theater? The movie theater where Quentin Tarantino wanted to come in for free, and he's like, yeah, sure, I'll sign a true romance poster. But he wouldn't come to Ohio. No, he wouldn't come to Ohio. But still, imagine if we were in California and that happened. That would have been so cool. We wouldn't be surviving off of <laughs> God. God. I would have just, I would have loved it. Anyway, um, so... China refused to uh, film. Uh, China refused to release the film over there because of the depiction of Bruce Lee in the film, and um, that's not it. Sharon Lee's daughter also had a problem with um, the portrayal of Bruce Lee in this movie. So um, what? Well, here's why. Um, they make him overly cocky in the movie. Like, they make him seem like he was just this arrogant blowhard who didn't, like, but when you see him in interviews and stuff, he was, I mean, he was confident for sure, but he wasn't, like, this cocky asshole that, like, the movie depicts him. But at the same time, I watched this movie, rewatched this movie as thinking of it as a what-if, and it made me enjoy it a little better. Um, and it also helped that I kind of had these expectations of the perfect TMNT playground versus what we get. Anyway, um, but yeah, um, but the but she was disappointed uh, with the how Mike Mo portrayed the character. Um, Brad Pitt ad libbed the line, "You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget that." Um, he you gotta say it like Brad Pitt. What? You gotta say it like, you're Rick fucking Dalton. You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget that. Um, he almost sounds like the, uh, his character in Glorious Bastards when he talks. We're gonna get into that here shortly, by the way. Um, but, um, yeah, he based that line on an actor who told him the same thing when he was a budding actor in the early 90s. So I like to Pitt. think, like... Brad Pitt, like, down on his luck, like, man, why can't I get a fucking movie? And this guy just walking up and says, hey, you're Brad fucking Pitt. Don't you, you forget, forget it. And he just walks down the hallway. It's sort of like the mean Joe Green with the Coke or Pepsi commercial. And he's like, hey, kid. And he throws the jersey. That kind of moment. Um, the character Flower Child, played by Maya, Maya Hawk, is shown having cold feet uh, and going through with the murders. 
Um, she is based off the actual person who would testify against the Mansons, except in real life, she didn't drive off. She actually stayed the entire time, but she could, when she wanted to drive off, it, I guess she said that she could hear the murders happening, which is terrifying alone, because I never want to hear that noise. Not, no. Um... <laughs> But uh, Maya Hawk is also the daughter of Uma Thurman, who is a longtime collaborator with Quentin Tarantino, who co-wrote the Kill Bills with him and, co and is the face of Pulp Fiction. Or should I say I'm the face of Pulp Fiction? Um, John Travolta is the face of Pulp Fiction. John Travolta! Uh, what murder? What murder? Uh, <laughs> Jeez. He's a great guy. <laughs> he was a great guy. Leonardo DiCaprio has said that he was starstruck when he was on the set because of uh, he was his teenage idol, Luke Perry, a star he felt at the time uh, embodied the cool of James Dean, which I agree with. I get it. Um, yeah. But um, him and but it actually like gave Leo someone to talk to about that era of Hollywood because they were both growing up in that same time. Oh, Jesus. They used a different picture for his, his... Oh, yeah. Well, that's him younger. See, but he kind of looks like... He has a James Dean-ness to him. That was him older, obviously. <laughs> He's still in the movie, um, which, by the way, this was his last film because he did end up passing away. Um, Margot Robbie, who portrays like Sharon Tate, wears some of Sharon Tate's actual jewelry, who was donated by Tate's sister, Deborah Tate. Um, he looks like the dude off Malcolm in the Middle. Your older brother. Oh, he, dude, everybody's been obsessed with Malcolm in the Middle recently. It's like a phenomenon. Um, he had a stroke. Doo, doo, that's what happened. Um, the cream Cadillac Brad Pitt drives belong to Michael Madsen and is the exact same uh, Cadillac from Reservoir Dogs. So that's cool. Um, Bruce Lee's line about Cliff being a pretty, uh, pretty first stuntman. Yeah, Cliff beat the fuck out of him he does but uh that stems from brad pitt always being told he's too good looking to be uh the kind of actor he wants to be because i i've said he's like the world's greatest uh character actor like he's the world's greatest leading character actor but um yeah the cre same cream color cadillac is the same one from reservoir dogs to this day, most impressive fun fact, almost. Um, oh, I put that twice, apparently. Do you think Carl Urban would be good in this movie? Carl Urban. I think he would have been... If, okay, if Kurt Russell could have been in his role, he would have been good in that uh, stunt coordinator guy role. I need to pop my neck. It hurts. But he's... I would just think that he would... Uh... Cliff <laughs> he probably would. Dude, did you ever see Dread? Yeah. Okay, so, full disclosure, like, I love it, but it pisses me off that it's a complete ripoff of the Raid movie that I told you and showed you about. Complete ripoff. But I love it so much. Um, When's the boys season four coming out? Fuck, dude, there's a writer's strike right now. I wouldn't ah, count on no, a lot of No, it's already done. Stuff. Is it, though? Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, so, next fun fact we have here. <laughs> probably not. Um, so, the movie theater that they referenced that's having uh, dirty uh, movies premiere at it is was known back then 
as, um, oh shit, where'd my spot go? Autumn of this year. Oh, it's supposed to come out autumn of this year? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, anyway, it's, uh, the theater is called The New Beverly, and it is owned by Quentin Tarantino, and it's one of the few places where you can watch the whole bloody affair when it, he does play it. Uh, one of the Italian films in which Rick's... Yeah, dude, I'm tired as hell, too. This is why I wanted to start earlier. I can feel my eyes very heavy. Um, but I don't feel my... I have that ear uncovered. Um, dude, side note here. Okay. LeBron James just demolished his $37 million Beverly Hills mansion and wants to begin building his dream home. His McMansion? McMansion. Uh, his fucking McMansion. He's anyway. I it, it billionaires kind of disgust me. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I get you earn the money, but think about all the good. Actually, you know what? He has that school in Cleveland, so I'm gonna just stop right now. Um, <laughs> Cleveland's gonna be pissed. At you. Yeah, they are. One of the Italian films in which Rick stars in is said to be directed by Antonio Margheriti. And in Glorious Bastards, Antonio Margheriti is the alias used by Donnie Donowitz into. To sneak into the premiere of Nation's Pride, um, which I think that was a great little callback. Um, Quentin Tarantino told the crew that he wanted the Spawn movie ranch to have a feel like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. And I think it succeeds. Like, I remember sitting in the theater thinking, they're going to kill Cliff. They're going to kill Cliff. I was so convinced Cliff Booth was going to die there. But he didn't. He lives till the end. I thought his dog was going to die. Dude, if they would have killed Brandy, I was going to write a letter. But he, he, all he did was... Yeah. Dude, I, lo- I would have loved to cheat chalk that stuff. Like, go into the house, just... And just whatever he the did, fuck I wanted. That dog did not move until he gave him the go-ahead. <sighs> such a good dog. Brandy's such a good dog. Anyway, um... Quentin Tarantino did not approach Roman Polanski. He admitted at the press conference in Canes. Um, Cliff and Rick watch an episode of the show The FBI from 1965 in which an army truck is hijacked. A, produ- produ- blah, blah, blah. a producer went on to a local source for film vehicles searching for a similar truck to recreate the scene. And to his surprise, he had taken to the actual truck used in the TV show um, – and they cleaned it up, gave it a fresh coat of paint, and that's how they were able to recreate. So, fun fact, the original episode that uh, that Rick is in is starred uh, Burt Reynolds at the time. That was Burt Reynolds' scene. So, the recreated scene was done like that. However, there is a CGI scene where um, Rick is in the movie The Great Escape because he lost the scene, the the movie out to Steve McQueen and I kind of hilarious little moment with uh, Timothy Oliphant. Um, the casting of Curry, Kurt Russell and Zoe Bell as the man and wife stunt coordinators on The Green Hornet is a double inside joke to Tarantino's films. Russell previously played stuntman Mike in Death Proof, in which Bell, a real-life stunt performer, also appeared playing herself. Zoe Bell served as Uma Thurman's stunt double in Kill Bill, and, in, and uh, Kill Bill Volume 1 featured the theme to uh the green hornet on its soundtrack the green hornet yeah like the tv show i was gonna say yeah no not the seth rogan movie (laughs) no 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 god no no the the tv show wasn't 
awful. I mean, it's a serial show, but it's good. Um, Quentin Tarantino described Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt as the most exciting star dynamic duo since Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Um, eager to work with Quentin Tarantino again and to keep within the budget, Leonardo DiCaprio took a 25% pay cut from his usual $20 million salary. So whatever his pay cut was, it's my, it's uh, from 25% lower. Um, oh, fuck. I lost my spot. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. Um, oh, okay, I found it. Uh, the movie is one of two 2019 projects in which Damien Herrmann uh, plays Charles Manson. Uh, <laughs> Charles Manson. The other one being uh, season two of Netflix, Mindhunter. So he played Charles Manson in both this and Mindhunter, uh, which that that show could have easily been what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could have been with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Um, the design on the airport walls is the identical to the design of the airport walls in the opening, uh, opening credits of Jackie Brown. Um, the scene of DiCaprio's character in The Great Escape... Oh, wait, I already put that... I said that. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's wife, Daniela Pick, has a brief cameo as one of the Rick Dalton's leading ladies during his t- Italian period. Um, in the scene where Cliff Booth gathers tools from Rick Dalton's work shed in order to repair the fallen antenna, you can see the flamethrower sitting on the ground automatically. Um, Why does he have a flamethrower? It's from that movie. Why have it? By oh my god! Okay, so it's just like James Franco keeping. Speaking of drops. that scene with the flamethrower, uh, we'll we'll get it. It's in quotable quotes. Um, and the last thing I have is we have a cameo of Perla Henry uh, Jardin. Um, it, it's the hippie who sells uh, Cliff an acid-dipped uh, cigarette. She previously appeared as BB in Tarantino's Kill Bill Volume Two, so that's BB all grown up. That's uh, Perla Haney Jordan. So didn't didn't he smoke that at the end when they tried to break in? Yes, he 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 was like, well, what better time than now? And, and then he, he that, smoked it, and then he comes back, and then the Manson family's there. And then he threw that fucking can of beans. At the fucking no, it's uh, dog food. He threw it at the person's head. face. Yeah. <laughs> But now, okay, we're going to get through quotable quotes kind of quickly because I'm very tired and I want to do the second half. And we've only been recording for about an hour, but it's, it's late. So it's 11. It's 11. Uh, so quotable quotes. Uh, JC bring, um, is everybody okay? This is when uh, the ambulance is taken away Cliff. And Rick Dalton's response, well, the fucking hippies aren't. That's for da- goddamn sure. Uh, Cliff Booth. Oh, uh, but, oh, I know you, I know all three of you, yeah, Spawn Ranch, Spawn Ranch, yeah, woo, I don't know your name, but I remember that hair, and you, I remember your white little face, and you were on a horsey, yeah, uh, you are I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business no I was dumber than that something like 
Rex. Shoot him, Tex! Tex! Then we get the Brandy attacking thing, but um, I thought that was kind of a... I just really liked that scene. Um, the narrator, when you come to the end of the line with a buddy who is more than a brother and a little less than a wife, getting blind drunk together is really the only way to say farewell. Um, the narrator is also done by Kurt Russell. Um, Bruce Wee... <laughs> Bruce Lee... Brother, you're the one with the big mouth. And I would really enjoy closing it, especially in front of all my friends. But my hands are registered as lethal weapons. That means we get into a fight, I accidentally kill you. I go to jail. Anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. Uh, which is fucking harsh, because Bruce Lee was definitely not afraid of a fight. Which, again, goes with, like, I can see it, why they'd be upset with it. Uh... Rick Dalton saying, what the hell are you looking at, you little ginger-haired fuck? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. You little ginger-haired fucker. Um, Cliff Booth, high on acid. You are real, right? I'm as real as a donut, motherfucker. Which, I want that on a t-shirt. I'm as real as a donut, motherfucker. Um, Rick Dalton, alright, that's too hot. Anything we can do about that heat? This is what he's saying while shooting a flamethrower, and his trainer says, Rick, it's a flamethrower. So for some reason, Rick Dalton thought that you could turn down the heat from a flamethrower. Um, and asked about it. Um, so, this is him... Um, in character on the set of Lancer. To my wife and all my sweethearts. May they never meet. <laughs> um, and this is uh, him during a scene in the 14 Fist of McCluskey. When his character burns several Nazis alive with a thrame-thrower. And uh, wait, wait, uh, he's okay. He's on top of a balcony and he's shooting it down on these Nazi Germans. And he yells out to them, Anyone f order fried sauerkraut? While shooting the flamethrower. Um, Cliff Booth, when I'm too old to do... Uh, this is when he picks up the hitchhiker. Talk about a breakdown bummer, dude. Not you. Yeah. Obviously... I'm not too young to fuck you. But obviously you are too old to fuck me. What I'm too old to do is go to jail for boomtang. <laughs> Prison tried to get me all my life. Ain't got me yet. Today it does. It won't be because of you. No offense. Okay, I'm gonna, um, Trudy, but, uh, Judy, but Trudy Butters says, naturally, we never succeed, but it's the pursuit that's meaningful. Um, while watching an episode of FBI, Cliff Booth says, all the streets are silent, except when Rick Dalton's got a motherfucking shotgun. I'll tell you that. And then, um, this last one we'll go with, 
Cliff Booth, all right, what's the matter, partner? Rick Dalton, it's official, old buddy. I'm a has band. <laughs> and that's that for all that. But we do have one final section I wanted to add in. And we kind of made good on timing. We've only been recording about an hour now, give or take. Um, and it's called, we're just, we're just talking about Tarantino. So what are your top... Taran- what, what, how would you rank the Tarantino films? What is your ranking of the Tarantino all films? All of them or just a few, all like of the them. top five? Well, you could do top five if you want. All we right. could do top five to make it quicker. Top five. I'm going to go Pulp Fiction. Okay. I'm going to go Django. Okay. Both Kill Bill volumes three and four. Okay. I mean, it's a toss-up. Because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was kind of, it was good, but it was slow. Right. It's very slow. I think, like I said, you cut out that Judy Butter stuff in the middle, and I guarantee it's a much quicker movie, and it plays off a lot differently, I bet. I guarantee it almost. Um, we honestly need to go back when he releases this movie and actually see the movie and then reevaluate our list. For Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Are you talking, the movie about- critic? Yeah, oh, no, like, yeah, when he releases the movie. Oh, yeah, of read. course. Well, well, that would probably just be I'd a... I'd say Reservoir Dogs at five. I think, uh, okay, so this is mine. So I'm actually going to flip two of them because I've been, I don't know, it's hard. Pulp Fiction, of course, number one. Number two for me, it's either Django or Bastards. Oh, I forgot about that. God damn it. You forgot about Bastards. Reservoir when Dogs you... is off. Yeah. The villain moves down. Well, um, Inglorious Bastards is... I, I have it as three on this list, but I really might prefer it at two. Number four is Kill Bill Volume 1 for me, and then number five is Reservoir Dogs. You didn't like the Volume 2? Um, I like... Well, Reservoir... Uh, it's number six. So it's only that under Reservoir Dogs. I just think... I don't, volume one's just a better movie in my opinion. Uh, to finish out my ranking though, um, since I already mentioned six, seven is Jackie Brown, eight is Once Upon a Time, nine is Hateful Eight, and ten for me is Death Proof. Damn. So Death Proof's pretty bad. Uh, so <laughs> favorite characters? Uh, Rick Dalton. Of course. Um, I can't remember Brad Pitt's character in Glorious. That's uh, Al, uh, that's Aldo Rain. Aldo Rain. Lieutenant Aldo Rain, the Apache. Mr. Candy. Mr. Kate Candy. Um, the dude, or whoever Samuel L. Jackson's character was in Django. Oh, God. The, the <laughs> okay, okay. Both characters in Pulp Fiction. Vincent and Jules? Yeah. Okay. And I think that's it. All I can give because I don't I don't know. Okay, I do like Uma Thurman's character in Kill Bills. Yeah, you can't forget Beatrix. But okay, so I, man, I've been going. I I really took this part seriously. Like, I if you notice, I'm actually more awake now. If you notice, my eyes are a lot wider. Yeah, would you put Jamie Foxx's character on there? Well, here's oh, my favorite. Ca- See, you were forget. <laughs> See, man, this is why I have to write shit down. So this is what I have for my favorite characters. I have Jules, of course, as I stated, he's my probably my like favorite film character of all time. Um and he was only in one movie of his. It's just one movie, but Sam Jackson if you take Sam Jackson out, you put Lawrence Fishburne, you put any of those other what ifs in there, it's not the same movie. It's not nearly as good. Both work off each other well. Which he's going to be in my 
because uh, I do have favorite quotes. These quotes I'm really excited to say. Um, but I, I won't get word for word for them because I didn't write them down that, that far. Um, so Jules, number one. Hans, London, number two. Cliff Booth, number three. Beatrix Kiddo, number four. Number five, Mr. White. Number six, Aldo Rain. Number seven, Mia Wallace. Number seven, Django. Or I, these aren't numbered. I just realized I'm going to have an odd number here, so I'm going to stop saying that. Um, so Django, Stuntman Mike, and Dr. King Schultz. Those are like my all, those are my favorite out of all the movies. I think that's not counting the movies he's written. I think Christoph Waltz's character in Glorious was better than his in Django. I love Dr. King Schultz. I love that character for many reasons, but even in, his introduction's perfect. In the scene in Glorious, he's there. There, he where he's in the cabin. Yeah, he has this way of. Um, and now you told me how many languages does he know? Eight. And then he just swapped back and forth. Yeah, German, something like that. English and French. Yeah. Well, he had to like relearn some of them. Because he hasn't used them, used them in a long time. Pipe and he just... <laughs> <laughs> but, um, dude, um, such a dickhead. But there's so many good characters. Like, it's weird to think, like, out of all of them, only supporting characters have won best Oscars. Yeah, because. Except for Jules, think, which is a travesty. I think, I think uh, Leo should have won for Django because he. He did uh, ju not even just the injury. Injury. He just he just knocks it out of the park in that did role. You hear I it? need to. Oh God. Okay, I'm gonna stand. Give me. We're gonna get back into this. Let me stand up. But uh, yeah, I had to pop my knee there. But um, uh, we were talking about how how the characters. You were saying Leo should have won. Yeah, because yeah. did you ever see how that was that happened? Like, yeah, because he breaks the skull and he like cuts his hand. If you notice, if you watch it, like he does kind of look up for a second, like he because is. He's, yeah, he's because he, Tarantino and he was like, just just go with it, just, <laughs> just go with it, just go with it. I can imagine now. Um, you, did they did they? clean his hand off before he rubbed it on her face. Yes, yes. I, I made sure to look that. We, we talked about that yeah, in the episode. Yeah, it's been so long ago. <laughs> I know. It, it was. It, God, it's been months. We didn't even, we weren't even putting our faces on the VHS, VHS yet at that point. That's how long ago that was. That was last summer. That was, it was, oh God, <clears throat> so long ago now. A year. But, uh, dude, we've almost done all of his films. We've uh, No other director we've done that with. Um, so... We got to get into short, er, Scorsese. We'll get into Scorsese for sure. All of them. All of them. <laughs> Dude, God, that would take so damn long. Um, anyway, so... They were on month four. <laughs> month four of Scorsese month. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to get through this without killing ourselves. <laughs> uh, God. Emily's 12 now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... So here are favorite quotes. Now I'm not, I don't have the quotes written down word for word, but these are just ones that throughout the movies, these are the ones I've always remembered the most, I've used the most, and have gone back the most to. So uh, first one I have is 
Obviously, the whole does he look like a bitch scene, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, that whole scene. But then I also, with that, put in the scene of him saying it again at the end when he's talking to, um, is it, is Tim Roth Pumpkin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, when he's talking to Pumpkin. Um, then, of course, there's Han's speech to the milk farmer revealing that he is, does know that he is housing enemies of the state in Glorious Bastards. Because, like, he's so... The, the the thing with Christoph Waltz is he's such a precise actor. And I know it's – I mentioned that in the other podcast. But it's one of my – God, that was loud. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he is one of those actors life, that, like, everything he does, it feels natural. Like, this is what he's supposed to be doing. He knows he has to do it, and he just does it. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. And that's what – that's another quote that – I, I don't have it in there, but that's a good one. Do you have a certain quote you want to mention? I like the quote when they're all sitting around the dinner table at Mr. Candy's ranch, and he's explaining the dimples oh. of the s- skull. And then he says, he yells, there's been a lot of lies set around this dinner table here tonight, but that you can't believe. And then, of course, <laughs> there's the... You had my curiosity. <laughs> now you have my attention. They, the best part of that <laughs> Or is, is it you had my attention, now you have my the curiosity. The best part of that oh. is someone says something to him and they zoom in oh, super fast. That's you, the will. Zo- <laughs> <laughs> you will. You <laughs> will. And he, he's drinking out of the coconut. Dude, Leo is so like – and he's also very precise in that without like everything he does just feels he's like – that little cigarette holder. He has dude. the little cigarette holder. feels very natural like he always sit, smokes out the little cigarette he holder and shit like that. almost every Tarantino movie. Oh, for sure. He he has a problem, man. Oh, he does uh, smoke in real life, doesn't he? He dips for damn sure. And That's, vapes. Vapes, yeah. Um, and well, Brad Pitt and him would probably take some breaks smoking some cigs. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um the next one I have is obviously Hattori Hanzo's speech about um, this sword. If you encounter God, you will cut God. The KKK scene. What do you mean? In Django. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you know what? I wanted to bring that up because in one of the pods, I forget which pod, we said that Jonah Hill was never in a Tarantino movie. And he was in bat. He was in Django because yeah. he's the one. He's one of the first few who's like, all right. I think it's safe to say, maybe the bags were not that great of an idea. (laughs) Um, Then, um, of course, the whole Royale with cheese scene. Great line. Um, Okay, this is one of my favorite lines. It's one of my favorite scenes. Again, we never really talked about Jimmy doing a lot in um, Pulp Fiction. But there's the... God damn, Jimmy. This is some serious gourmet shit. Me and Vincent would have been satisfied with some freeze-dried taster's choice, right? <laughs> and he sprays this serious gourmet shit on us. What flavor is this? Knock it off, Julie. What? I don't need you to tell me how fucking good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. Bonnie goes shopping, she buys shit. I buy the gourmet expensive stuff, because when I drink it, I want to taste it. But you know what's on my mind right now? It ain't the coffee in my kitchen. I love that whole scene. Um... But I don't like – okay, this is where I agree with Spike Lee. Do not like the use of N-words. He drops that N-word hard. Um, do not like it. Um, well, he does – they drop a lot of N-words. And, like, 
Sam Jackson's always been on the defense of it, and I get it. It's an, just another Tuesday. Or it's just another. That's what he said to Leo when explaining, because Leo had a real hard time saying it. And I, if I was an actor, I don't think I could. I just, I can't hit that point of where like, oh yeah, I'm going to say this word. Huh, huh. But if you're portraying uh, that time. I guess, I guess, because it is acting, I guess it's like if you sleep with someone in a movie, you're not really sleeping with them because it's, it's acting. I don't know. It's just, it, I I have such a bugaboo with that. I, I, obviously, I think everyone should, but when I literally squirm when I hear it. Like, it's a literal reaction I get every time I hear it. I just can't help it. It's, it's an ugly But when word. Sam Jackson just says, do it. <laughs> I mean, you got when you, when, okay, if it was Sam Jackson telling me, I would be like, "Fuck!" It's Shaft telling me. Um, so can't can't tell Shaft. No, you got to do it. Even though I still haven't seen that Shaft, it's Sam Jackson. So I'm gonna just assume he was a really good Shaft, considering he did get a sequel. Um, which I recommend Shaft in Africa. It's the third one of the original trilogy. I'm just saying, throwing that out there. Uh, <laughs> It's really good. It's better than uh, the second one. I think that's Shaft Back in Action, I think that one's called. Better than the second one. Um, Royale with Cheese, I already mentioned. Uh, you're going to bark all day, little doggy? Are you going to bite from Reservoir Dogs? Um, Each and every man under my command owes me 100 Natsy scalps. And I want my scalps. And all y'all will get me 100 Nazi scalps taken from the heads of 100 dead Nazis. Or you will die trying. I just, I remember when we were talking about that on the pod, he just kept saying, I want 100 Nazi scalps. What about the scene? That's 100 Nazi scalps. He kept emphasizing the 100 part of it. What about the scene where they're sitting down in the bar in in Glorious and he notices the He's a spy. That can go into our next cat that in our coming up soon because that's not really a quote. I'm trying to stick with quotes well, you here. Can quote stuff out of that. You can quote stuff if you can have a quote that you like from it, sure. But I do think that goes in with uh, favorite moments. Is that scene for sure? Which I didn't have that scene written down, so I want to thank you because holy fuck that scene! Holy fuck that scene! Just because it's... He did this. He he orders it like this, and it's supposed to be this. Yep. And, uh, and of course, just, people on the pod, but we, we're reenacting the scene a little bit there. You can see the guy's face change. Yeah, he has that look of like, this fucking bastard. This <laughs> fucking bastard. This fucking guy. This guy. This fucking guy. He's what am I, from Boston? <laughs> you sound like a Boston. <laughs> Good shit, right, Miroki? Anyway, um, so, uh, you ever listen to K-Billy Sounds in the 70s? What I like to say when I butter my toast. Um, I love, of course, I mentioned this in the Pulp Fiction one, but the uncomfortable speeches speech. Don't you hate that? I hate what? Comfortable silences. Why do we feel it's necessary to yak about bullshit in order to be comfortable? I don't know. That's a good question. That's when you know you found somebody really special. And you can just shut the fuck up for a minute, comfortably share silence. And this one, I can't say the full quote, because it's from Django. And that's why I've refused Django quotes until this moment. 
but I absolutely love the line. It's very quick. I counted six shots. Yeah. I count two guns. Exploit deleted. Um, and now for the next little part of this, soundtrack drops. Okay, looking at a meme here. YouTube, want to try YouTube Premium? Everyone, you'll never get a six <laughs> out of me! <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, we have to officially speed up. We have hit the low battery portion of this. <laughs> um, soundtrack drops. We're going to speed through this a bit. bit. Um, okay, judging from everything I have written, the pe- best soundtracks are between Pulp Fiction and um, Django Unchained. I was about to say that. Yep. Uh, songs I have written on here that I like are Who Did That To You by John Legend. Fucking banger. Um, Woohoo, the, Woohoo by the 5678s from Kill Bill Volume 1, um, which it forever became a car insurance commercial song. <laughs> um, um, Who Is He and Who Is He To You by w- Bill Weathers from Jackie Brown. Um his name is King by uh, Louis Bukov and Ida Delarosa De um, from Django Unchained. Um, Stuck in the Middle with You, Steeler from by Steeler's Wheel, but in Reservoir Dogs, um, Unchained, the Payback, and it uh, uses uh, sound clips from James Brown and Tupac, and that was in Django Unchained when he's shooting everyone at the in Candyland, which is a fucking awesome scene. Um, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon by Urge Overkill, which I listened to that song probably 12 times today because I can get down to that song. It is so fucking good. Um, you can never, you can never tell by Chuck Berry in Pulp Fiction. That's the song that they dance to at Jackrabbit Slims. And the last song I have is a Hun- uh, Across 110th Street by Bobby Womack from Jackie Brown. Um... So, do you, do you have any songs that I might have forgotten that you want to mention? I covered them. The, oh, wait. Oh, no, I said Stuck in the Middle with you. I was like, how did I forget this? Okay, so, top moments. Um, you had the three. Finding Out 3, which, holy fuck. Such a good acted-out moment. Such an intense moment, because... I didn't know that... You don't know what's about to happen. I didn't know that, though. No. Well, how would you know? You're not a Nazi from Germany. Anyway. Um, I am German. But be, yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm Jewish. <laughs> and we're friends. Didn't, I'm telling you, we're a 90s sitcom. Okay. You got to keep that in there. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway. Uh, okay. So, other <laughs> top fun. moments from this. <laughs> um, Crazy 88 scene in Kill Bill Volume 1. Possibly one of the best, like, modern sword fighting scenes in recent history. And also just the fact that I I do like the option of the black and white, though. I think seeing it in color would be cool just because of the blood spray, but I, I do like the black and white aspect. Um, the ear scene from Reservoir Dogs is always going to be, like, the most well-known scene because Marvin Nash about to get fucking caught on fire, and then that's when the big twist reveal that Mr. Orange is the rat and the cop, um, as he guns down Mr. Blonde. 
Um, this is what I like about this because I feel like these are things we didn't really mention in those podcasts. And now it's like, oh, okay, they do know what they're talking about. They did watch these movies. Um, Cliff Booth versus the Manson family, honestly. And then, like, the fact that it ends with the flamethrower, though. And I just love it because <laughs> the girl, that. like, fu- fucking falls out of the window. And that movie is also the reason why I knew who was the killer in Scream 5. But anyway, um, the, he falls he, in the pool. The, the girl falls in the pool. And she has the bloody nose. And he's, what the fuck? And he just, first thing he decides to do, goes into his shed. He comes out with the flamethrower. Roast her like a Stay puff marshmallow at the end of Ghostbusters. Um, but absolutely love that scene. Um, we get the... I love the introduction to Hans London. One of the greatest introductions next to Darth Vader's um, of a villain ever. Um, but then I also love the introduction to Donnie the Jew Bear, Donowitz. The, the whole, like, him he in the tunnel. He out of the park. He knocked... Teddy fucking Williams! What, who did we say for him earlier? Oh, Charlie Day. Charlie Day? God. Tony fucking Williams right out of the fucking park! <laughs> you can't do it. I got boxes of Pepe Sylvia! Um, uh, I, I think of the, um, the hand scene in Django. That was a good movie. I still maintain that Adam Sandler could have done that role. I th- he was in shape in that time. He could have done this. We've seen him in Uncut Gems. He could be a serious actor. Prove me wrong. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I said the introduction to Hans, uh, the introduction to Donnie, um, the introduction to King, Dr. King Schultz and his trusty horse, Fitz. The, and the well, beer foam. Oh, the beer foam scene is great. Um, but I just love that when he introduces his horse. And the horse bows. The horse bows, and I when I rewatched that, I saw that I was like, "That is such a fucking great moment!" Like, who would have thunk it? Um, but I love it. I, every I know it keeps blacking out. Um, oh fuck, we're at eleven percent. We really got to speed up. It was at twenty percent when I said that. Um, um, the, the introduction to oh the do, the introduction to I don't have this Hugo Stiglitz. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have this down for some reason, but the introduction of um, Aldo Rain, of course, love that scene. His him outsmarting Hans at the end, I love that scene. Um, Every scene of Django shooting up Candyland is a plus. That guy kept on getting his knee blown off with bullets at the end. I like, <laughs> yo, God, ah! 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 And his screaming. I do like the scene where um, he whips the guy in the blue suit. I really like that scene. And he like, I like the way you die, boy. I, you know what I didn't like about that movie? When he shot Mr. Candy's sister, she went flying like a <laughs> I love the ridiculousness of everybody like flying when they got <laughs> shot. I thought it was hilarious. Dude. And that's like I, of course, the ending to Django when the house is burnt, when Candyland's burning. He makes his horse dance. The, the I thought that was I thought I thought that was a little much, but uh, <laughs> but uh, um, the whole like that's an iconic shot of him like turning his head and smiling with the thing in his mouth yeah, in yeah, the suit. The, I think it was like one of Mister Candy's cigarettes. It, it's his. Yeah, it is one of his cigarettes. Um, okay, we are almost because that's done. in one of the posters. It is. It, it's. It is on one of the posters. Okay. Um, 
We haven't mentioned Hateful Eight a lot, but I do like the scene where we find out that Kurt Russell's character's been poisoned. Chris Pratt was in that, wasn't he? No. Who, what was he in? Chris Pratt has never been in a Tarantino I film. swore he was. No, he, you're, you know what you're thinking of? The Magnificent Seven. Yes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you just love that my mind works like this. Um, and Who directed that? It was uh, Anton, Ant, Antoine Foucault. He did Training Day and all that. Because um, it stars my boy Denzel and and Ethan Hawke. But anyway, um, and of course, my final scene I have written down here is the, Jules' final scene in Pulp Fiction. I think it's the greatest way because when we meet Jules, he's kind of like this, like, I don't give a fuck. We're here to do a job. I'm going to get in, get out, do it, fucking... If I got to shoot a motherfucker, I got to shoot a motherfucker. He he gets his, like, second chance at life by not getting blown away by that forty four Magnum or whatever the fuck it, that cannon was. And he – that's what – Sam Jackson should have gotten the, not, the Oscar for that scene. I think – you know who I think should be in a Tarantino show or movie? Huh. Sylvester Stallone. I think As given the right pin. role – a kingpin. I think you know what have him as a bookie. Yeah. Put not as dressed, not as like the Tulsa King kind of bookie, but like normal. Like this is a guy who's I just my like gun back in the hotel. Oh, this is have him be a bookie that works in the back of a meat packing plant. Have a little bit of a nod Rocky. there. Yeah, because it's weird. Like, huh? I don't know. Anyway, uh. <laughs> Yeah, but that's all I have for top moments. Do you have any moments? I know I'm missing things. Uh, the the hand, bro- the hand scene with Leo. Yeah, that scene. Because um, for years I thought that was real blood. True. That. I like the scene. <laughs> yeah. and, and the, <laughs> God. Then she should have deserved an Oscar. Um, I. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she wasn't in it that much. Um I don't, I, I don't you know, think she was nominated I, you know either. A movie that I always think that Tarantino directed, but he never did, was Revenant. You think he did the Revenant? I never get. I always think of that. I I have that kind of same feeling sometimes, even though it is directed by a known director. But I can I think Ridley Scott sometimes. I don't know why. But anyway, um. So last thing we'll talk about because phones at seven percent. So I we, think uh, Tarantino should do a Peaky Blinders remake. Well, here. This is the future as it follows. Um, We know about the Movie Critic movie, which we don't have any information on at this time. Besides, we know it's about a critic who's at the end of his career. He's kind of grumpy, and he's trying to write a review of a movie or something. I forget. We Again, a lot of this is an unknown. However, there's one thing I found out today, Cody, and I thought it was kind of interesting because it goes with this episode. For Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and this is how we're going to end it. A TV miniseries for the in-film TV show Bounty Law is in the works that he is making and directing. The only information I can find on it is that it is possibly a six 30-minute episode miniseries. That's all I know. No actor. Oh, he's not going to tell who the actor However, if it's based off Bounty Law... It's not impossible to think that he could get not not Brad Pitt, obviously, because he's a stunt double. The bounty hunter. No, he could put 
Leo in it. I figured he would. Who knows? But anyway, uh, we just finished Tarantino month. We finally fucking finished Tarantino month. We did month. it. We fucking, ah, we, we fucking did it. We did it. My ass is falling. Ah! Dude, I'm so tired. I'm ready to go home. Um, I'm just glad we did it. But I guess we can tell everyone the big news of what next week is, since we already know what it's going to be. Um, it's go- probably the most famous, well-known comedy of all time at this point in the world. Step Brothers. It's time for to do fucking Step Brothers. I thought you were going to say old school for a second. <laughs> we could do old school soon, dude. We- let's just fucking do Will Ferrell. We always like seem to fall into trends when we're trying not to, so fuck it. We're doing it live. We no, we will. We are... Yeah, definitely, definitely minimum, too, if we do that kind of shit. But anyway, uh, this was Bride the Movie Guy, along with co-host extraordinaire, Mario Kart champion, Cody Wilfong. Thank you for joining us. See you next week for Superbad. And, of course, as always... Superbad stepbrothers. Thank you, I'm very tired. Uh, Bonjour! That was good. (laughs) 